you like Grant Fisher, I told him I'd give this shout out, but he just came out with a new podcast called The Half Step Pod. He's doing it with a former teammate of his, Connor Lane, and a really good listen behind the scenes action of what it's like to be a professional. Step Pod. I'm your host, Connor Lane, and across from me, on Zoom, as usual, Grant Fisher, my co-host. Grant, how are you doing, dude? Good, man. Uh, I'm actually the one in the stationary location now. I'm still in Park City. Where, where are you at? Tell tell the listeners that your, your new location. I'm on the move, an undisclosed location in Central California. No, I'm at Callum's house, uh, my teammate Callum Bolger, who I offered to be on the pod, but he said, and I quote, don't really have any hot takes right now and as we know this is a hot take only zone uh you can't come in here with lukewarm takes and get away with it i don't actually know if that's true i feel like our whole thing has been kind of analyzing things and being in the middle but yeah callum <laughs> has offered up his bedroom and desk for me to record this episode uh so I, i'm i'm very i'm very grateful to him i don't think he'll listen to this but appreciate you callum maybe, maybe listen to this one because it's at your house i don't know uh, unofficial sponsor of the podcast would be Callum's house and Callum's parents, I guess. Yeah, no financial gain, but that's not illegal anymore, so it wouldn't even matter uh, if they did. But yeah, offering up their domicile, very grateful. Uh, how how has your week been? You're back in Park City. You got, what, 10 or so days until you're popping over across the pond there, uh, the other pond, the Pacific. So how is, how is this week in PC? Yeah, man, it's been good. Um kind of back to a real workload uh as far as training goes um our first week after the trials was just down just because that was just a lot of racing a lot of you know physical effort a lot of you know emotions it just we just needed to reset so we took last week to reset and this week um back to some serious training you know making the olympics is and is a major goal for every professional runner and um, getting that box checked felt really, really good, but, uh, I still, and all of us still need to prepare for the actual Olympic games, um, uh, and not just kind of coast it out and think we, you know, got the job done just cause we made the team. So, um, yeah, back to work, um, had a really nice, like 10 K five K specific session on Tuesday. Um, it was quite a bit of work. I think we did about five miles of quality on the track, um, which was really good. Um, feels like the legs are back got some power and pop back and then uh, we'll have another workout tomorrow, Friday. Um, probably something a bit quicker, a little bit of speed work. So um, yeah, train is back to full, full throttle. Um, feeling good, feeling, uh, you know, how I was feeling pre-trials and um, that, that down week I think was really, really important just to get a mental and physical reset and um, feels good to be back to work now. I mean, yeah, you, you 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 had a little bit of a good reset, right, post-trials. You went right back up to Park City, but I know Sarah came out, visited you for a couple of days, and I mean, generally, it's got to be nice to kind of relax after. We talked about in the last episode how stressful that environment can be. Um, have you when, you, when you think about what's coming up, right, in three weeks here, is that even, I mean, obviously it crosses your mind, but are you thinking about it every workout right now? Or, or do you even know what to visualize or is anyone else in the team who's been there before kind of walking you through that? I mean, I understand and we'll, we'll talk about this later on the episode. There might not even be any fans, but it's still the Olympics. Have you been able to visualize that beyond like that almost, you know, 
childhood version of it where it's, oh, it's the Olympics. Like, are we, are you thinking about who's going to be in the race and, and, and the potential scenarios during these workouts? Like, how deep are you going? Or are you kind of waiting until I, I'm going to show up, I'm going to talk to Jerry pre-meet and kind of, you know, not stress about it for a month? Yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, you know, up until, I, I guess, as of right now, uh, the biggest meet I've ever run in was the Olympic trials. Um, that's the highest stage that I've competed at really. So, um, obviously the Olympics is the highest stage in the sport. There's nothing bigger than that. So, um, I don't have any experience at that stage. Um, you know, generally when I race, whether it's the Olympic trials or something, something else domestically, uh, I'm racing guys that I've raced before, um, guys that I know pretty well, and I know most of their tendencies, their strengths, their weaknesses, all those things. But going into this Olympics, most of the people in these fields, I'll, I have never raced before. Um, I don't really have the experience on the international stage that some of the other guys do. So, um, in, in that regard, I don't really have the, the, the visualization or just like knowing what's coming, um, as someone with, with someone with more experience might have. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not too like laser focused on like every minute detail of what might happen in this race yet. Um, there'll be time for that as we approach the trials I, or sorry, as we approach the Olympics. Um, I mean, I still have three weeks or so, uh, you can really burn yourself out if like you obsess over a meet too far in advance. So, um, for sure. Yeah. We, um, yeah, we've got a good crew up here in park city, honestly, a, a good amount of first time, um, Olympians. And uh, some of the, the vets are, are walking us through what it's going to be like, which is helpful. And yeah, it'll be a stage that I've never been to. Um, it's, it's the Olympics. It doesn't get much bigger than that. So I'll, uh, I'll show up with my A game and, and prepare to race, race everybody there. But um, as far as like personal experience, I, I, objectively, I don't have the personal experience of racing at that level. Yeah. Um, it's just interesting to hear the perspective going in. Um... I mean, we've, we've talked a lot about, you know, like, oh, this is the week of this race. This is the week of that race. And especially going into the trials, but this is obviously like the stage. Um, so interested. Have you, have you narrowed down like travel details? I know that there's a lot of restriction. Um, and I know track and field typically is the second half of the Olympics. So it's like week two. Uh, do you know like how long before the race you're getting to Japan and, and, and what that deal is? Yeah. So, um, so my team will leave park city, uh, in about 10 days and we'll fly down to Honolulu, um, and spend about a week in Hawaii, which will be a really cool experience. Uh, I mean, Whoa. Uh, yeah, Jerry, Jerry keeps reminding us that it's not vacation and all these things. Um, so uh, he's telling us already, uh, that we're going to have some, or at least one really hard workout down there. Just our last, you know, big effort before the Olympics. Um, and we'll be down there for a week, uh, getting some, heat humidity training and also just getting closer to the Tokyo time zone, um, getting a little adjusted to that. And then, uh, we'll fly out to Tokyo on the 25th of July, uh, which means we'll arrive there on the 26th because of the time change. And then, uh, yeah, we're in the village for a few days and then get to race. Um, it's, it's kind of nice qualifying in both the 10 and the five. I get to spend a little more time over there. Um, the rules are that, you have to leave the country within 48 hours of your event completing. So um, it just 
will give me a little more time over there, which will be cool. Um, never been to Asia before. Um, obviously never been to the Olympics or, or anything like that before. So it'll be cool to have a little more time to soak it up and, uh, you know, just being in that environment. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. Um, I'll stay there obviously through the five and then, uh, we'll head back to the U S after that. I didn't know about the Hawaii thing at all. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm glad Jerry's reminding you it's not vacation. Uh, it's not, but also it can't hurt to, to be in Hawaii beforehand as a sort of like <laughs> staging area, uh, as a super interesting, I assume like maybe in a non COVID situation, would you have just maybe gone to J- Japan right away? I, I, I've been there, like you'd be there for the opening ceremony probably, or maybe you'd still be at altitude. I don't know. Cause you're going to be down from altitude now before the race. Is there, was there consideration there? Yeah. So the original plan actually was to go the pre COVID was to go to Japan um, and go actually up to the mountains in Japan and hang there awesome. until the race, uh, which would have been so, so fun. That's um, so sick. <laughs> Generally, every country or most countries have a training camp that they have before the Olympics. So depending on your country, like, yeah, you'll, you'll have a, a pretty, not completely mandatory, but most people do the training camp right before. Um, and you do a camp like in another city in Japan or something like that with, with just uh, British athletics or just with Team Canada or, um, you know, just with your federation. <clears throat> so all of that mostly is canceled um and so we're flying to hawaii just because it's a u.s state it's a little easier just as far as leaving the country getting into japan we've got a track we can use weight room we can use and it's you know on the way to japan so i mean it'll be a fun place to hang out but yeah not too many uh not too many luau's will be attended um probably so uh yeah on the way back, on the way back. Yeah, maybe we, maybe we can off. get a layover in, in Hawaii, like a two-day layover. It's just different, but it reminds me of like reading Unbroken, you know, like the biography of Louis Zamperini's story and how they took like the ship over to Europe for that Olympics. Yeah. Like, like obviously, it's almost like the same, like there's just like this holding area where you're somewhere else for a week, this like foreign thing before you get to the to the big thing. But I mean, there'll be enough of you guys there and with Jerry and everything, I'm sure it'll be very structured and kind of feel like you're still in the bubble. Yeah, yeah. And and then when we go to, over to Tokyo, it'll certainly be a bubble. Um, we're pretty restricted on where we can go. You know, we, we, we're tracked 24-7 um, on our phones. You have to have your phone on at all times. Yeah, COVID tests every day, con- contact tracing, can't leave the village, can't use public transit. So no really touring around or anything. And yeah, recently announced that I, no, no spectators at all will be allowed, not even domestic spectators from Japan. So uh, we'll, we'll have some, some empty stadiums. I'm hoping they pipe in like maybe some artificial crowd noise or some music or something. Some music, just a playlist, <laughs> like track list workout. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Back in the, well, okay. So let's talk about it now. Like there's a bunch of reasons you can't just move the Olympics 30 days out from the Olympics, uh, a ton of reasons, but it is really tough. Like regardless of your opinion of COVID, it's a tough scene, especially when there's other global events happening like Euros, which is across all of Europe, like 11 different host countries, and they're somehow managing to make that work. And it's not full capacity. You know, I think that there's definitely some stuff in the United States that's been at full capacity. Like Hurricanes hockey games is at full capacity for the playoff run. Some of that stuff could be a little bit ambitious or like quick to come back. But there's some sort of medium there. Um, I mean, it's not my place to tell the Japanese government or their people like what to put, um, how much to fill up their stadium. It just sucks seeing other global sporting events 
with so many fans. Like I've been watching the Tour de France a lot of mornings with Callum, and it's it's like it's tough seeing that many people on the side of the mountain, knowing that the actual Olympics, which you know you do get a lot of revenue from, not just the tourism, but the, the actually going to the games. Um, they're going to miss out on a lot of that fan experience and for the athletes as well. It's going to be tough. Yeah. I mean, it'll be different. I, I mean, I have no, nothing to, to gauge this Olympics on relative to other ones, but yeah, it it would be, it would be really nice to have fans. You know, there's pictures of the the Olympic stadium out there and it's, it's huge. Um, And so it'll feel kind of like a ghost town when we're in there. Um, And yeah, I, I know there's, there's people calling for the Olympics to be moved to a different place. Um, and it is like a little, just like, I don't know, tantalizing to see other sporting events go on with at least some capacity. Like you said, the Euros, that environment looks awesome to, to play in. Um, it would be fun to, to kind of replicate that. Even the U S trials, we were able to have some fans in capacity and it was a really cool environment. It was a big stadium and it was partially full. Um, but the, the energy, the noise, it was really, really fun. Um, so yeah, it'd be nice if if we could get some fans. But if this is what it takes to have the Olympics happen, then then you know, it is what it is. Like I'd rather not have fans than have the Olympics be canceled. Um, which, I mean, I guess isn't totally out of the cards still. Um, uh, Japan. I don't want to say. It, I, yeah. I don't want to say it either, man. <laughs> like <laughs> it would be heartbreaking. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, Japan just went into a state of emergency. Um, hopefully things are under control and, and the, the Olympics can still happen. I'm, I'm confident they will, but um, I mean, anything can change. That's the, the world we live in now is like things can change quick. It's just, we know it's not going to be moved um, like in the next month or there's the amount of infrastructure that goes into planning for all of that. Um, and especially with the, with the initial postponement, postponement of a full year, like to get this happening, it's either going to happen in Japan or not happen at all. It seems like it's not like it can move last minute to Florida and just do it with like, <laughs> no restrictions somewhere, even if that would be sick. Yeah, it'd be fun. I mean, there's, there's only a few places in my mind that have the infrastructure that could host a full Olympic games, um, on short notice. Uh, I mean, there's objectively we are, an, we are an infrastructure podcast i'm excited for this i, I <laughs> yeah. love when we get into world geography so yeah yeah uh, i mean i i'll list what in my mind like i think london could pull it off maybe not on this short of notice but maybe if they were given a year half a year la probably could pull it off i think japan japan would have tokyo would have been able to pull it off maybe beijing if you wanted to have it in an asian country i don't know where else I mean, Rome, other, other Rome, countries paris. hosted games recently right like Rome, yeah. paris moscow like yeah um it's so like any any I mean anywhere that's probably hosted in the past at least a summer game especially in the last like 20 30 years probably has some sort of infrastructure to do it um it's I mean it's hard, even pre-covid I I've always been really interested in like the Olympics I feel like the last few have run these huge losses you always hear about like the World Cup stadiums being abandoned like four years yeah. afterwards in certain countries if they're built in like either there's some in Brazil that are just in disrepair it's out in like rural sectors where they staged a few group stage games, that kind of thing. It's just, yeah, there's been calls to make their like, like one generic, like one home of the Olympics every four years and not have it travel around. It's also cool, like the Euros and the World Cup that's going to be in the United States, Canada and Mexico and like the mid 2020s, talking about using multiple countries as kind of staging areas to help kind of diffuse that cost out, but still give everyone the excitement. There's a lot of things you can do in this situation. There's nothing you can do. <laughs> it yeah. really seems like. It's just, yeah, it's too late in this case. There's so much money tied up in hosting an Olympic Games. 
through the IOC, through the, the local government, all the infrastructure costs, um, what happens to all that infrastructure when the games are over. You know, I, you know more about public policy and economics than I do, but I've always thought that it would be cool if the Olympics just rotated among like four cities, cities that that's a really good economically could, could handle it. Like maybe have one on, uh, maybe LA, Beijing or Tokyo, uh, Paris or London. Um, and then maybe one in Africa or Australia and just cycle among those four because the Olympics can decimate an economy. Um, and you know, the, that, the outfall or i, I don't know what the the, the right fall, phrase fall out yeah like afterwards you know yeah you have all these things in disarray you have all of this money that's sunk into the games and the people that have you know worked um i know there were a lot of things going on in rio where people were dying building a lot of these stadiums like last minute yeah like placement of things last minute stuff just like displacing people um i i feel like maybe just like four host cities that cycle would, would solve a few of those problems. I'm, I'm sure there's issues with that model, but um, I've always felt that that would, you know, solve a few of those economic problems, probably be better for a lot of the people that live in some of these countries and cities um, that kind of get their lives upended uh, to, to host these games. And it would be just a little more consistent. I, I think it'd be cool. Yeah, no, I mean, I actually totally back that. I mean, it's, it's a lot cooler than even just like one host location. And yeah, especially once you get that ground level infrastructure and if you know, hey, we're hosting an Olympics every 16 years, you know, every 12 years, that kind of thing, then you got to keep stuff up. It's just, it's less of an upfront expense to go from zero to like all the way scaled up to host. But uh, I mean, Tokyo is a city that could totally do it and has kind of done it. It's just simply the control of like crowds and, and gathering with COVID. Um, and I don't, I don't know any of the specifics about like vaccination rates in Japan. I remember Kai telling me like a month or two ago, Kai, uh, the freshman from Australia on our team, um, who was what, sixth in the steeplechase at NCAs? He was definitely first team All-American uh, as a true freshman. Shout out Kai, killing it. But he was telling me uh, like a lot of Austra- Australians had like a lower vaccination rate because they weren't, because because they had been so restricted this whole time, like there wasn't a high priority to get them and they were selling the vaccine to other countries. And I, I know Japan was also like pretty restrictive on on coming in and out of the country. So I wonder if maybe a lower percentage of their people are vaccinated. I know you saw some stats about like the percentage of like Japanese people who wanted to have the games and it was disproportionately one way. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I haven't seen vaccination rates in a little bit. I remember them being quite low um, a couple months ago when I saw them in Japan. Um, you know, Japan, because they have, they've had very few cases and, and they're very restricted, but now, I mean, so I get that if, if a very small percentage of the country is vaccinated, like, yeah, it's kind of too late to be like, everyone go get it in preparation for hosting this game, the games. Yeah, yeah, it'd be too hard. I mean, it's an island nation, so it's it's restrictive in its borders just because of that. Um, just it's naturally hard to get there. You have to take a boat or a plane. You can't really like drive in. Um, and yeah, I, I feel like it was a little like bit of a bubble. But now, you know, you have people flying in from quite literally every country in the world. <laughs> It's like part of the appeal. Um, so, so I, yeah, I can see the concern for sure, um, especially with the Delta variant um, kind of surging right now across the world. Um, the concern I feel like is is valid, and yeah, we'll we'll see. I, I mean, I I hope we can like walk around the village and kind of talk to other people, but uh, I I don't know exactly what it's going to be like when we're over there. 
Um, we will be confined to the village, but it's just a question of how confined will be we be within the village. Um, like, can we hang out with other countries or just the U.S.? Um, can we hang out with other sports or just track and field? Uh, it, it'll be interesting exactly what these restrictions will be. Um, but whatever they are, yeah, we just have to follow them and you know hope that everything goes as planned. Well, and the last thing that you told me before we started recording is like, there's a poll of the people of Japan specifically about like whether or not they wanted to still host the games. And it was like, what was the percentages? I, th- I think the poll I saw, it was 80% of Japanese citizens did not want the games to go on as planned or so- something like that. Like a, a discouraging number. <laughs> <laughs> a tough a number, very discouraging a tough number. number. But I mean, it does seem like no fans... I mean, even if even if we're all the way at no fans and empty arenas, you're gonna get your shot, you know, at competing at this level. And at the end of the day, you know that the Olympics are the Olympics. Uh, everyone will still be watching, uh, just not you know that like X amount of people in whatever stadium. But I mean, I do empathize with the Japanese people just because no spectators are allowed, no foreign spectators. That's been established for a while. The athletes can't really leave the village, so hosting the olympic games especially now where japanese people can't even attend uh they get kind of nothing out of it like yeah. if, if you own like a little shop if you own a restaurant you're going to get no surge in attendance um mm-hmm. like you won't have new patrons because nobody will be there and nobody can go um you can't even go watch the events that are in the country your own country and, and you've already paid to to update every stadium yeah yeah Ta- taxpayer money that, like that's already in yeah you know and, and you try to come back to breaking even basically the most recent olympic games has kind of been how it's gone like you try to now come back to even with like the actual between like tv deals and and the overall boost in the economy you try to come back to, and now they just, you don't get hardly any of that result yeah i mean the tv numbers are still there but your general japanese citizen doesn't benefit from the tv deal um no. you know you get you get nothing out of that all, all you all you may see as a Japanese citizen in your eyes might be like uh, the risk of COVID like coming to the country. <laughs> like not like you're, you're going to be watching it on TV yeah, anyway, if you're not, a Japanese citizen now that, now that uh, fans aren't allowed. Yeah. So it, it's a tough spot. I, I it's, it's a really tough spot. Well, moving, moving from that to kind of reflecting on the trials and there's been a ton of stuff happening in track and field, specifically in American track and field, specifically with, agencies in american track and field and global track and field which is you know it's kind of like referees and other in other sports contests like you never want like usada or wada to be the story or in the story and i'm sure they you know well i would assume that they don't want that either i don't think anyone wants like refereeing or like rules or any of that to be part of the main story when it is it's typically bad and there there's been a few things that we have not gotten to really talk about just because we've been heavily in this trials run that now out of it we can kind of talk about uh, a little bit more i don't know i don't know even where to start but i feel like the biggest thing the thing that made like truly national news like i'm sure you had this as well had friends who i didn't know knew what track and field was texting me about is the Shakari richardson ban 30-day ban for like marijuana for thc uh which you know at this point is like a week or two old there's been a ton of you know, takes on it. There's also been a lot of educated viewpoints on it. I think, you know, it'd be nice to kind of summarize, I guess, our thoughts or also just talk about like what went down with that. Cause it's a really, really tough situation. Not like not a good situation for hardly anyone involved. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 
yeah, it's not a, not a great situation. Um, should, wait, I should probably background it a little bit better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shikari, in case you somehow didn't watch any of the trials or like see any of the anything, uh, Shikari Richardson like dominated the 100 meters at the U.S. Olympic trials, uh, the women's 100. She destroyed everyone pretty handily. Celebrated with like a ton of swag across the line. Like truly seemed to be elevating to that level of like oh, this is a person who's just, like, first name associated with the Olympics, right? Like, Katie Ledecky, like, that kind of, like, like Simone Biles. Like, this is the star you can kind of base a lot of stuff around. Um, I just, I specifically remember, like, Michelle Obama tweeting about her. I mean, in the aftermath of the THC, like, suspension, a bunch of NBA, NFL players, a bunch of, like, generally, like, Seth Rogen, like, famous people just, like, kind of in her corner. Yeah, Seth Rogen's going to make the list, too. And, uh... It's just like a shocking amount of, of people caring about it and then not getting to see the superstar now run at the games because of 30-day suspension, which she would be cleared in time to at least do the relay, if not, I think just the relay, but her trials results are wiped because the ban starts with like the competition that you tested positive at and uh, she's not eligible for the relay pool or, or any of the events in Tokyo, which is just really, really like a sad situation. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess to put it really simply, um, yeah, Shakiri dominated the trials, won the w- women's 100 um, very handily, very com- comfortably, became an overnight star. Um, I saw tons of people talking about Shakiri Richardson, almost like she was the one that was going to be like the next Usain Bolt, the one that transcends mm-hmm. track and field and uh, captures just the general person's uh, attention. Um and then maybe a week later, uh, I came out that she had tested positive for THC at the Olympic trials. So I, uh, the, the automatic ban for that handed down from WADA, the world athletic or the world anti-doping agency is a 30 day suspension. Um, a little background on THC. It's only tested for in competition. Um, so you, we are randomly drug tested all the time out of competition THC is never tested for, and you can never get banned for THC out of competition. Um, it's only at these in-competition drug tests that happen right after you race uh, that that you can test positive for, for THC. Um, and she did. I'm not really sure if it was after uh, the prelim, the semi, or the final um, when this drug test occurred, but uh, the test came back positive and the ban was handed down. Yeah, I, I guess a little more background. After the Olympic trials, if you're top three, you automatically get drug tested. Um, like no doubt. Yeah. Like you it, know that going in. It, it doesn't It doesn't matter. Um, and, and you might get drug tested if you finish elsewhere too. There are random ones that they pick. Uh, you might get 12th place in the final, but you could get tested. Athletes are generally well aware of that. Um, and Shakari herself said she knew that as well. Um, yeah. So this wasn't like, hey, you won. We're going to test you. Um, you're automatically tested if you uh, finish top three. Uh, at the Olympic trials. So obviously, you know, the resultant positive test for THC sparked a ton of like inflammatory controversy uh, surrounding why there's rules against marijuana usage, especially when it's legal in almost 30 states in the US when other leagues have softened their policies regarding the drug. I think that there's two prongs to this. And I, I, th- I think, I mean, Shakari herself has pretty much like, this is basically what she said too. I mean, she she handled the situation post the ban it seems like very well it's very like steadfastly right like she went on the today show she apologized for you know like 
not what she said as not being able to handle my emotions in this situation. Uh, the reason that she was using, you know, like or using marijuana at the time, right, so close to this trials, was she was dealing with recently finding out about the death of her biological mother, uh, like which is a traumatic event, uh, you could imagine, and certainly would would have an influence on you. I mean, it's it's difficult to see from the perspective of like an athlete. I mean. It's difficult because you know, I'm sure like in your situation, you know, you're going to be tested and it's pretty known that that's a substance that's banned in competition. You know, I mean, it, it is up to you as an athlete to not like intentionally put something into your body that is on a banned substance list in any capacity. Now, it started a broader controversy of like, should THC be on the banned substances list at all? Um, and that's that's a valid question, I think, to ask. Uh I don't, the only partially valid thing that I've heard uh, advocating for why it should be at this point would be that it's some sort of masking agent for actual, you know, bad chemicals or, or, or cheating, you know, drugs that you could put into your body. But I also haven't scientifically seen that explained anywhere uh, very well. So I, w- I would honestly argue that it doesn't seem like that's a very legitimate claim, at least based on everything that I've read and everything that's come out of it. Uh, and I, I think, it, yeah, it definitely... This seems like it would hopefully jumpstart a conversation about THC being banned at all, even though it's only banned in competition. But in this scenario, it's also just really tough to see this absolute star, um, star and star in the making on a bigger stage of the games, just miss an Olympics for something that, I mean, geez, like if it just wasn't during the actual games, wouldn't have even been, you know, any sort of suspension. And it's such a short suspension too, because of that, right? It's, it's not really illegal most of the time, um, it's uh, it's just I mean it's, it's multifaceted there. I, I I wonder what you think about there being any sort of infraction for taking THC. Yeah, I mean first of all, yeah, it's a tragic situation. It it sucks. It's bad for Shikari. It's bad for U.S. Uh, track and field. It's bad for world track and field. Um, and it, I don't think it's great for the anti-doping system as a whole. Um, because this is the most headline news track has had in you know, the past like five years and it's all yeah. negative. Um, and she, she was the most headline. She was like right up there before this even happened though. That's the other thing. So not only like, is this negative doping story, like the reason that it's breaking mainstream, like she was also already breaking into the mainstream and had the potential to like, it's almost like a double whammy. Cause right. not only is this the biggest story, but it takes away what was the biggest normal story, like the biggest, like sport related story that we've had. Yeah. I mean, uh, again, I, I know, all of our listeners like aren't fully as, as in tune as to like the anti-doping process as a professional athlete would have to be. But um, to, to clarify a few things, um, yes, marijuana is legal in Oregon, um, but there are several things on the banned list that WADA created uh, and constantly amends, but that, that are legal uh, in different countries or different states, but are banned um, because they're performance enhancing. Uh, an example would be like Claritin D, for example, is banned. Um, you can't take Claritin D. You can take regular Claritin, but you can't mm-hmm. take Claritin D. Um, I think there are other things like Adderall is techn- technically banned. Um, legal in the U.S., but a banned substance. Um, the, the government legality argument does not hold weight uh, in, in the sport of track and field and anti-doping. Um, for example, Japan has different rules that uh, I think Adderall is illegal in Japan. Um, 
So like you can't use the country in which you were tested as uh, like moral or uh, I guess to, to set an anti-doping code. Um, secondly, the thing that you mentioned about a masking agent, uh, what a masking agent is, is it's a substance that you can take and it messes up the drug test uh, when it tests for other banned substances. So a banned substance would be something like uh, human growth hormone, HGH. And if you took a masking sub substance, uh, it would cover up the HGH in the test and the test wouldn't be able to detect the HGH. Therefore, the masking agent is banned. Um, I've heard athletes talk about THC being a masking agent. I've heard, I've read things on Twitter about it being a masking agent. I've never seen personally any scientific proof or like a research article or a paper saying that it's a masking agent. Um, if it is a masking agent, it's, it's hard for me to say that THC should not face a penalty, but I, I've never seen definitive fact that it is a masking agent. So it's hard for me to say. I also think, I mean, it's a totally fair stance for you to be right there. I mean, I, I am too. I mean, I think pretty much everyone should be of the stance of like, oh, if that's a, if that's a problem, like we shouldn't, we shouldn't let that happen. We, you know, we shouldn't let people take this, but clearly if it's not going to be any sort of threat to, to performance enhancing, right? I mean, I mean, the typical effects of weed are like THC. I mean, we're talking about like, what i mean how different is it from taking melatonin before you go to bed and i mean okay we're not advocating for anyone to do drugs <laughs> but compared compared to like some of these other like steroid based like anabolic steroids like things you can do to your body with long-term effects um it doesn't seem especially in this country as it's become legal i don't know uh it maybe doesn't seem like the reason you know the fundamental reason for most of the substances on the banned substance list is they're banned because we can't have sport where some people are willing to put things in their body that harm them long term and other people aren't and that's the difference between success and failure in the sport like at the end of the day because there's a lot of substances that you take that elite athletes take right I, mean, I don't actually know if you take a lot of substances but like there's a lot of like like whether it's just like calcium and vitamin d or like like certain combos of things that People are all allowed to take legally and are not on any banned substances list. And you do that because it makes you better. The difference with most of the things on the banned substances list is like you're like artificially tampering like to a to a greater extent, or putting that stuff in your body is long term very harmful for you, uh, with like a lot of anabolic steroids and 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 that kind of thing. And you need to kind of protect the field, protect like the integrity of that sport, and that's why the substances are on the list. And I, I don't know truthfully. I think that we haven't seen different in the proof that THC or that, like that marijuana itself would, would fit in that ban. Um, it's a difficult situation without even getting into the, the kind of side situation here of like who does a complicated rule system end up targeting the most, you know, like, like who does like restrictions on things like marijuana end up targeting the most. I mean, you talked about like me studying public policy, like, I took a class specifically on the like very like disproportionate rates of, you know, based on race of nonviolent drug offenses uh, of like prison sentences, like rates and like amount in the United States. Like, like if you're African-American in this country, like there's 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 basically there's way more like black people in the American prison system right now uh, due to nonviolent drug offenses than white people. And I'm pretty sure that's a greater number without even like going into percentage of total population. 
Um, and you can't maybe scale that out directly into sport, but at the same time, you look at who some of these rules might disproportionately affect. And I mean, it's, you can't really take anecdotal examples, but like, you know, Brianna McNeil is in a different situation with WADA and USADA, but in a similar seemingly clerical situation, it's, um, it's, it's not always about the intention of the rule when it was written. It's more about like, what is, what is that effect looking like? And, uh, in the case of the Shikari situation, it's, it's a tough scene and all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, going back to the masking agent question, um, I would be surprised if THC is a masking agent ultimately because it's because it's not banned out of competition. If it were a masking yeah, agent, yeah, it's true actually. If yeah. it were a masking agent, it probably should be banned out of competition too, which it's not. Um, I know World Athletics, as recently as this year, has changed the limit of how much THC can be in your system and trigger a positive test. Um, the test is is good enough that it can detect very, very small amounts in your body, but they don't draw the line there. Um, I think the, I think I read the limit of THC that can be in your body is 150 nanograms per milliliter, uh, of urine, I guess, uh, cause this was a urine test, um, which is quite a lot. Uh, you would, I, yeah, based on those numbers and things that I have read, you would have to consume something pretty potent you know, within 24 hours of being tested to trigger that high of a threshold. I don't think necessarily WADA is trying to ban people for marijuana. Um, they have the rules in place and... Yeah, it doesn't seem like they are. I, I'd agree with that, especially with raising... Because the old number was 15 nanograms per milliliter, right? Yeah. I think we both saw that. Yeah, I, I so think... It's, it's way higher. They, it's, it's also now no longer banned out of competition. Yeah, they've raised the limit a ton on how much you can have in your system. Um but at the end of the day, based on how I've observed these anti-doping agencies uh, to operate, specifically WADA, they go by the letter of the law. There's not much discrepancy um, or, or really human analysis to each situation. It's kind of like, uh, this was in your sample, um, you know, this is the consequence. Uh, and that's, that's, that's how we're educated as athletes. Um, all of the training courses that I've taken from the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency state a strict um, just responsibility and liability. If something's in your body, you're responsible for it. It doesn't, in their mind, in world, in WADA's mind, it doesn't really matter how it got there. If it's there, then you're in trouble. Um, and so, so you have to be careful. Um, for example, when I take my iron, um, my iron pill it's possible that the factory that makes my iron pill also makes like an HGH pill or something. I don't even know if you can take HGH in, in pill form, but I, I have no idea, it, but it could be contaminated. And I'm if there's HGH in your sim, your system, uh, you're in trouble. Um, and there's been cases of, of situations like that. Um, Brenda Martinez, for example, um, was taking an antidepressant drug that was legal. Um, she had informed uh, USADA that she was taking it and she tested positive for a banned substance uh, and they gave her a ban and it wasn't until she went back and found her antidepressant pill and ran it through a test at a lab that they realized that it was contaminated with a banned substance that wasn't marked on the bottle um, she didn't know it was in there uh, it just was contaminated in the manufacturing process with something else 
I mean, you, it, it, it's, it's yeah. Well, what's the what's the result of that? Did she get the ban lifted? She did get the ban lifted, um, but I think it took like over a year. Um, yeah, it, they're it long, like long processes. Slow. Yeah, I mean, and that's not even because there's there's kind of three main like doping related things, and the, another one being Shelby's, which you know like obviously we've all read like the statements about how it was a contaminated burrito from a, from a food truck. And like, that's a similar situation where I, I don't know. I've seen a lot of comments like, Oh, like you're an elite athlete. How are you eating at a food truck? I like forget food truck or restaurant. Like there, you haven't carefully made every single meal you've put into your body the last <laughs> like year. Like I know, I know you haven't. I mean, you guys seem like you do a lot of cooking at, 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 up in park city and, and all that, but it just, there's just no way. And so it's, it's, it's a real, I don't know the solution to that, to, to the scenario of like, Hey, you should be responsible for everything in your body because anyone who does cheat, like who is doping, like there, no one's just going to fess up. It seems like if you're already willing to bend the rules and completely cheat anyway, then you're not just going to admit it. You're going to have some sort of excuse. And so you kind of need to have people be liable. And then hopefully you can actually prove that hey, this was contaminated, this is not, you know, like I didn't do this knowingly, any of that stuff. But it creates this really tough situation because these suspensions are long and while you're appealing, you can't really run. I mean, you can kind of run, but like they're not going to let you get all the way to the Olympics and then like with a pending appeal type of thing, there's still like a cap on what you're able to do. And, you know, I don't don't know the solution because you want to catch the, you know, doping performances, but athletes being responsible for everything in their body sounds great in theory, but like realistically you could get screwed too. I mean like, like anyone could get screwed. Like you put stuff in your body that you didn't make like every day, whether it's the supplements or it's certain food. I mean, it's just frustrating. Yeah. It, it's a great point. Um, there's another great example of Jerry and Lawson, who is a, a great U uh, S field events athlete that came out of college maybe two, three years ago and was banned for a steroid um, that it was later found that, it was in contaminated steak from a Japanese steakhouse. Um, and it took him two years to fight and appeal that ban and have it completely removed. But those two years, he wasn't competing. And his name is kind of tarnished forever since then. And what was the sponsorship situation like? I feel like there's a lot of scenarios if you're out for two years where your sponsor doesn't stand by you either. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure what happened there. But um, his case was messy too. Um it was appealed through WADA and the Athletics Integrity Unit, and um, there are several clerical errors that were made. Uh, the head of the lab that tested his sample that originally banned him or resulted in the ban, uh, the head of the lab was uh, proven to have lied under oath uh, that resulted in his ban. Um, and that ultimately was a huge factor in, in having it overturned. Um there's a lot of layers at play here. Um, the the, oh God, the it just shouldn't be the highest layer is WADA, um, and then USADA is the U.S. anti-doping agency that is a layer below, but has to comply to everything that WADA says um, because it's it's the world government governing agency. Um, but yeah, I mean, over the past year and a half, it feels or it seems like you know sometimes maybe there should be some human uh, judgment. Uh, thrown into play um I mean, we can segue into the brianna mcneil case too um yeah for sure do you want to break that one down 
I, I yeah. was just rambling for a sec. I'll, I'll let you talk. No, no, I mean, and I, I don't, you know, I think that Grant and I were both in the spot where we don't mean to misrepresent anything or get anything wrong. There's just a lot of, a lot of stuff um, and a lot of, a lot of very like seemingly injustice happening. And it's marred by the fact that at the end of the day, no one really knows if anyone's intentionally doping. Like you can, you can be like, Hey, it makes no sense based on everything they're saying that this was intentional or, or meant to deceive. But at the end of the day, we are where we are with it, you know, and it, it, it seems really difficult. The Brianna McNeil situation is she was top three in the hundred hurdles at the Olympic trials and qualified for the Olympic team. Uh, so her situation was, so she won, she won the gold in 2016, uh, in Rio. Uh, so Olympic gold medalist, right? Reigning Olympic gold medalist. Um, so after she won in 2016, she was banned for missing three tests in 12 months. It's the same thing that Christian Coleman got banned for, for 18. Uh, he had an 18, he's in an 18 month ban. Um, we've talked about like the testing system, how that works, right? You got to select one hour a day where you will be in a certain residence. Um, all, all that, you know, you get three within a rolling period of 12 months, right? Where you can never have three strikes in that 12 month period or else you face a suspension. There's like ways, right? Like you can update. I was reading the the lap count by Kyle Merber and and there are ways you can like update USADA last minute. Like, hey, actually, I'm going to be here and not here. Um, Get notifications. But if you're not super up to date on where you are, especially for this one hour a day block that you need to have blocked off, and they then they'll show up at your door and if you're not there if you're at camp or if you're you know in the store in that hour um you could face a strike so she had three strikes in 12 months which to be fair like the three strike thing i don't know i don't want to say i mean i'm not a pro athlete i don't want to say it's difficult to get three strikes i'm sure that life happens but when it's your job three strikes shouldn't happen like three strikes does seem like enough wiggle room where you're probably going to be okay. It doesn't mean that everyone who's gotten three strikes is for sure a doper, but I understand that suspension sometimes being kind of harsh. Uh, so she was suspended for a year after her third strike uh, in, in in 2017. What do you think about the three strike stuff? I know we've talked about it a little bit, obviously acknowledging that everyone, a lot of pro athletes are in different situations, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I personally support this, the three strike rule. It's part of our job to to be drug tested. I 100% support the anti-doping efforts that that are made, and um, you know, if if I have to get on my phone for five minutes a day and say I'm going to be here, here, and here, and update it along the way if things change, um, then so be it. That's part of being a pro athlete is a responsibility to uphold uh, just ethical sport and also to update your whereabouts to to make sure that you're available for drug testing at all times, basically. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not an Olympic gold medalist, so I don't get tested quite as much as Olympic gold medalists. Generally, that's how it works. If, if you're, if you're an Olympic gold medalist, if you're a world record holder, you're going to get tested more than the guy that's just came out of college, uh, objectively. That was another thing. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about the Shelby thing a little bit last, but during that period, there were a bunch of, I saw a bunch of stuff like tweets, like how come all these, like they had a list of all of the amount of tests that us athletes have gotten like each year since whatever. And it was like most of the top amount of tests on that list were Bowerman people. And I saw a tweet that was like, Oh, like USADA must, they must know something because they're testing Bowerman so much more frequently than other groups. <laughs> and I was like, 
the people on the list were like Evan Jager, Matt Sensowitz, right? Shelby, like people who had won medals in, in the last like worlds and, and, and Olympic cycles. So it made sense that they were being tested more. I, it's not like, I don't know. That That's how it's weighted, like you're saying. It's weighted based on your success, right? Like I won't be tested as much as you. I, I guess just that that's because I guess because we have a finite number of resources for the testing, which is a whole other thing, which I assume better resources if we could structure everything better would help part of the problem. But getting back specifically. So, yeah, I, I am also, I think, supportive of the, the three strike rule. I mean, you have to have a line somewhere because um, missing tests can easily be an effective form of doping. I mean, like if you know you have three strikes and I mean, you don't want to put everyone under this like shadow of doubt here, but if you know you have three strikes and you have none like on your record at the time and, and you're doping and they come like, and you don't answer the door, you get a missed test instead of a doping ban because you're cheating. So you need to have a cap on that. Um, but obviously life happens. The, so she took that suspension. Um, and I think, you know, in my, when it, when the story first came out, before we knew like all of the background, I think a lot of people thought, oh, she's missed three more tests, like, or, you know, it's like a result of the previous probation. I can't believe she's missed like three more tests or whatever. That's so many tests. Clearly she's cheating. Like, turns out she had zero tests, she zero missed tests in this period, uh, the most recent one, like 2019 to 2020. Uh, and she missed a test in January of 2020 which would have been her first missed test. And if she had just missed the test, she would not be in a doping suspension now, which is like, that's the stuff that isn't right in this scenario because she missed that test because she had just recently gotten an abortion and was still like in her bed, like the weekend after having had it um, and was unable to get to the door or didn't hear or whatever it was like 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. her testing window. And yeah, you got to be ready for your testing window. But she had three strikes, I guess, to work with. So she missed that. The issue was that when trying to get it like removed from her record, just because you want to have zero strikes if you can, and trying to claim this like medical emergency, which was valid, she listed the she was off by one day of her abortion. Uh, she put like one the day before the knock on her door for the test instead of two days before. And because of that clerical error, she like basically had like tampered with, right, whatever the like she she tampered with like the system or with her data, and because of that, then you couple that with I guess the previous probation or maybe you don't even I'm not sure. But then she gets five years ban from the sport, um, where if she had just said nothing, she wouldn't have been banned because she had had zero strikes. And that the clerical issue of that you know is obviously the overwhelming problem. Um, like just the reality, like, you know, maybe you're of the opinion that, hey, once you've had the three strike rule against you, you can't miss another test. You know, you can't. Um, or maybe it's two or, or whatever you believe in. But if the current rule would have allowed her to just like get by without updating it and then she tries to prove it and then is off by a day instead of letting the, letting her change it or being like, all right, you were off and we're not going to we're not going to actually accept your response because you're off to go out of their way and then ban her for it for five years. Um is a giant overreaction. You missed this Olympics, your career. I mean, you know, you're 29, your career is, unless you can get it adjusted, is, is, you know, in jeopardy of being over. That's atrocious, you know? I mean, that that's just backwards. Yeah, so, I mean, that would be another example of the strict liability that uh, WADA has. Uh, I mean, I haven't seen all of the documents. I don't think they have released an official statement. That's true. They stay not doing that. Yeah. So we kind of operate on like the athletes explaining the situation. And then everyone's kind of like, that sounds 
so rational. And then we're kind of waiting for the agency that's suspending them to be like, okay, that's fair, but we took that into account and this is what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> and we haven't, we haven't gotten it for anyone. Yeah. And it seems like, I mean, we, you're right. We have only heard um, Brianna's side of the story, which is very compelling and makes sense to me. Um, and it seems like World Athletics has a rule that if you mess up a date in an explanation, um, then it's a ban. And uh, that that seems to be the letter of the law. And it seems to be what they stuck to um, because she appealed it and did not get it overturned. It's hard. I, I mean, it, I feel like, yeah, some human uh, just rationality would maybe look into it a little further. And, uh, you know, maybe there's an explanation for this mistest. Um, you know, you don't ever want to miss a test, in my opinion. Um, like, like I, I have zero strikes and like, I don't even want to have one. And I think if I had one, I'd be sweating. Like I'd be updating this thing all the time. Um, and like, you'd want to get it right. But I mean, people make mistakes. P people make mistakes. Brianna admitted she made a mistake on the date by one day. Sh Shikari admitted she made a mistake. Like she, uh, Shikari admitted she knew the rules and, you know, she made a mistake. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard. It, it's, it's a reality of the sport, which is really unfortunate. Like the anti-doping system has to exist, in my opinion. I know there's people out there that are like, we should just have the Olympics where anything goes. And like, you can see no. how fast everyone go and you can like inject Jeez. anything. Uh, I, I do not support that. Um, that sounds horrible. I mean, you wouldn't have a career. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I wouldn't like the lengths that, that, that some people would go to in worse situations, like, like the lengths that people would be willing to inject themselves, whatever, if it had a chance to boost, like you would lose. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's an exaggeration. You just, that, that isn't feasible. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely disagree with that, but yeah, I mean, people make honest mistakes sometimes, and I, it seems that the stance of a lot of what WADA is going for right now is if their bans are correct in banning actual dopers, like eight times out of 10, then that's, that's a success. But um, if there are two you know, clean athletes that maybe get banned um, on a mistake or a clerical error, um, then you know, that's the cost of the anti-doping system, I think it seems in their mind. I mean, that that is unacceptable. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's scary. I, I mean, that is because, I mean, just shit. I, I, also, because we don't get all the cheaters. I mean, it's so much, so much of the time we find out about stuff after people's careers are done, right? After people are out of their prime. Um, sometimes because they're out of their prime, and you're like, why the hell are they out of their prime? You know, they're, they're 28. What? But we just... If, if we don't have a, if we're not catching everyone, even if we were catching everyone, but if we're not catching everyone, there shouldn't be clean athletes at the center of it. But I understand. I mean, like you're saying, right? Like, like you said at the beginning, WADA, USADA, you're, you're operating as much as you can off of fact, because you can't be making decisions about if someone doped, like you can't be making like decisions about biological fat, you know, biological signals. Um, we were trying to make decisions about the situations surrounding those. Like why, why was this given a positive? Why is, you know, is it contaminated? Is this the situation? It's just, I don't have the answer. I don't think there's any one person who has the answer, but we're a sport where like, you know, I mean, it matters so much, obviously being able to compete in the Olympics if you qualify for it. And just like having your, I mean, like any sport I guess does, but especially in track and field where it's not like anyone is wildly like rich and, and just could if they got banned tomorrow, had enough money to make it out and survive and be on okay the rest of your life. Like everyone is trying to do this. Everyone is in it in large part for the love of the sport. You're making enough money, like, of course, but like, 
you know, it's not the most lucrative thing that anyone can do. I, it's just so frustrating to see, see this kind of stuff pop up. The whole two athlete thing, like, or even one athlete thing out of 10 being like a victim of this is okay. If we get the cheaters is, is like, that's not protecting anyone. I know it's been a common refrain, but it's not. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think there are, there are people out there that are cheating certainly. And like, because of that, I totally support anti-doping and testing. Like, I know a lot of people say this, but like, if I have to get tested every day, then I'll willingly do that. Or like, if I have to have my location tracked all the time or update my location all the time, I'll willingly do that if it cleans up the sport. Unfortunately, it seems like a lot of the the bands and, and bus and, and the news surrounding track and field lately have been on clerical things um, and not as much of cleaning up the sport from people that are actually like cheating. Um, it, it's unfortunate. And, but, it, but it's hard to know. Like, it, it's so hard to know if you're a casual viewer of the sport. Um, you know, anyone that gets a ban usually has an excuse or a rationale. It's hard to know for us too. Yeah. It's not just casual viewers. I mean, it's hard to know for you. Like, I, it's totally hard to know because yeah, everyone has an ex- everyone has an excuse. Um, I mean, the most compelling excuses to me is like when it's like, oh, I got tested three days later and I was clean. And I've been tested like a week before and I was clean. Like I'm, I, I, you know, like that stuff to me is like the most compelling, but I mean, like you can't just erase a positive test off of that. Even if like, it's like I was tested the next day or I was tested the previous week and I've been clean on all of those. Like to me, it's like, okay, I mean, let's be reasonable about that. If they've been tested 40 times in their career over the last like three years and all of them are negative except for like this random one and they have this excuse. It's just hard. I mean, because it's positive, like, uh, the way that we're all conditioned to think, right? As though it's positive test, it's doper, you know. And also, they're going to lie about it and say that they didn't dope. And like, I don't know. I mean, I agree. Like, you know, I think a lot of people would say, "Let's get tested every day. Let's track us on our phones." Right now, what we're seeing a lot of is this three strike rule, which just shouldn't that shouldn't be a problem. I mean, we should, yeah. Even if it's giving up a little bit of privacy, to, to I mean, I, I feel like that would be a better solution than what we have right now because people's careers are are suffering over it um if you're clean if, if you're not using the system to, to work your way around it with three strikes then then it's a tragedy yeah i mean it, it's nuanced like lance armstrong for example he never failed the test to to my knowledge that's true but you know later yeah. it was proven that he was cheating um and i and he admitted that he was cheating the whole time you know it's hard uh like there are plenty of athletes in the sport of track and field that uh, at least among pro runners, like people, there's pretty much consensus that certain people are cheating. And if they don't have a missed test, like, or, or sorry, a, a failed test, then, you know, they can't be banned. You're going to, you're going to drop any names? No, I'm not dropping any names. Uh, <laughs> I believe that would be slander or what, what's the other thing? Slander or libel. libel. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. One of those. I don't know. I don't really know the difference. If you're a public figure, you can be, you can, you can say stuff about, they can say stuff about you, but I don't know if you can just make claims. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Let's not get let's not get let's not get too deep about it. But yeah, I, I mean, it, it is very unfortunate that cheating has a long history in the sport of track and field, and it's you know it's discouraging. Like going into the sport knowing that there are people out there that cheat, like it, that's not a good feeling. Knowing that people are doing things that you can't do or like will never do that are elevating their game uh, in a sport that the margins are so, so important. Um, it's discouraging, but 
you know, you put your faith in the anti-doping system that uh, those people will will be caught and the sport will be cleaned up. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's sad. I, and and that's all the press that track and field's getting right now it is is yeah. is about anti-doping, which is sad. I mean, there's so many cool stories that came out of the trials. Like world records were broken. Two world records were broken. Trials records were broken. Uh, favorites didn't make the team. Like underdogs made the team. There, there are so many compelling stories going into the Olympics and it's being overshadowed by the anti-doping stuff. I mean, that's always going to be a factor in our sport, unfortunately, but um, it's sad that it overshadows all these things that happen. Yeah. And I mean, the last thing is like, you watch Icarus ever? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like the Netflix doc about like, like Russian doping. It's not even like, let's call out a country for this. It's just, you know, like there, there's like documented like notes of, of in Sochi, like passing vials through a hole in the wall in the lab to, to not like get their athletes like neg- a positive tests. Um, and the reason I'm even bringing that up is because like WADA sanctioned them, like the IOC sanctioned Russia from, from competing in what didn't they compete in? They didn't compete in like several, like the last worlds. I feel like yeah, they would be a Russian athlete. You had to worlds be. in 19. Uh, and I think maybe yeah. in 2018, like there were some events that, that, Russian athletes couldn't compete in. And they were supposed to have done this whole list of things before being able to come back into the fold, and they did not do all of them. I, I specifically remember that. I am not going to sit here and say I remember everything that wasn't, wasn't. I just, I remember the day that they got reinstated and like the articles being about how they hadn't fulfilled every obligation WADA initially set out for them. And I think that that adds to it too, right? If you, like, if, if you're seeing like bending of the rules in certain ways or, I mean, you look at a lot of these global sporting agencies and unfortunately they have a history of kind of like random stuff, like I'm not going to say corrupt stuff, but like stuff occurring on the fringes of it. Um, you know, like with, with where sites are awarded or, or, or who is targeted and what and, and all of that. And I mean, that's that's the most disappointing part. Uh, I don't know if it takes just like one central figure to lead the doping agency, like one like, like concentrate the power. Because I think with a lot of these global organizations, you have like so many people in a room and everyone wanting to like kind of not rock the boat too much radically or want, it has their own motives. And you rarely get like these big things, like big radical reformations of an entire system, such as the anti-doping agency uh, to occur. Right. Cause everyone else is already in these positions of power and doesn't want to change them. So, I mean, I don't know, you don't want to have a dictator running the, <laughs> running the world anti-doping association, but like maybe you do try to concentrate power in like, scientists like like the actual scientific side of things and let like that system reign as opposed to seemingly making it much more like if not political because obviously they try to base their stuff in science like this whole like global we're going to involve every single everyone gets an input and we're going to talk about it and work, work it through i mean i don't maybe that's not coming across the way i'm thinking of it it's just it's it's so it has to cover so many different buckets of of like what wada needs to be what the ioc needs to be that the ability to change and like be nimble and, and actually fit modern situations is, is lacking severely. Yeah. It's, it's complicated, man. It's, it's nuanced though. WADA does not, WADA isn't a track and field specific organization. WADA has oversight and tests, uh, pretty much every sport in the world. Um, like if you're a swimmer, you're tested by WADA. And, and if you're in the U S you're tested by USADA these aren't track and field specific organizations. They oversee pretty much every sport. Um, so there's a lot more pieces involved than just track and field. Um, 
And yeah, change sometimes can be slow. Some of these responses sometimes can be slow. Rationale for for uh, bans can be slow, um, which is annoying when you want to hear why someone has been banned from the the organization that banned them. Uh, you want to mm-hmm. hear it directly from them, their rationale. Um, it's an imperfect system. Um, I hope that it becomes closer to perfect. I, I know perfection will never happen, um, but yeah, hopefully, um, hopefully it gets better. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think the anti-doping system is awful. I, I just think it can be improved, and I, I don't have concrete ways in which it can be improved. But it seems like something's off right now. And the last thing I'd say, because uh, I don't think we specifically addressed it, and I'll, I'll say for my personal, like, I don't think that Shelby knowingly doped. I don't, I don't think she did, based on everything I've read and seen. But I think that there's this general, right? I mean, you're on the same team as her. Like, obviously, like the entire team, you want to support her and, and you should. And, you know, like we've said numerous times, when the CAS and like the arbitration court hasn't said anything about the case, it's really hard to like yeah. feel 100% comfortable taking any sort of stance. I think it's very simple to be like, I mean, in my, like, I, I, I don't know her at all. It, it seems legitimate and I believe like the story but if you know if if the court of arbitration comes out and is able to reveal something that like isn't clear now or if like something is found in it that that reveals the situation then i think it's like it's very fair for anyone who's had that like, who's been supporting her to be like oh well actually this is this has changed yeah. you know I, I think based on all the information available now it seems pretty cut and dry that this was a this was a mistake or, or you know and, and she's passed all these other drug tests and she's done whatever she can to get back out there but you know, obviously we have, this is part of the problem. We don't have all the information. And at the end of the day, it has nothing to do with Shelby as a person. It's just, it's almost impossible to know what like individual people are doing all the time. Um, And that, and that gets back to the, so like, while I totally, while I, while I genuinely do believe like this scenario and I could, I could see it happening. And again, like you're supposed to be responsible for everything that goes into your body. But like, have you ever eaten out at a restaurant grant? I mean, I mean, these things, you could be gunned down randomly. I mean, there's obviously some things that are a little bit tenuous or seem like, oh man, like that had to go right in that. But at the same time, like that's, I don't know, like life is kind of fully based on tenuous connections. Like you can really start unpinning everything if you, if you go deep enough. And I guess the only, the only thing is, yeah, like if, if there was evidence out there that clearly proved that, yeah, she, she did that intentionally and, and actually she hasn't been clean or whatever the deal is, then, I would fully change my mind and be like, oh, okay, yeah, she, she doped. It's just right now, it certainly seems like she's another victim in this situation. But um, I know we've been a little hesitant to talk about it just because it's a difficult thing to talk about when it's when it's on your own team. But uh, I, I don't know. That, that's kind of like the understanding of it that I've had. I know a lot of your teammates have more publicly like said stuff. And I, but it, it's hard. It's a hard situation because at the end of the day, like no one really knows what anyone else is doing. Ever. I mean, you know, you know, people as people and, and the way they live their life and what they represent. But like the sport, people have been burned so many times by, by, you know, assumed clean athletes doing things. So it's a difficult, it's obviously a difficult situation to parse. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's another really unfortunate situation in my opinion. I mean, I know Shelby, I know her quite well. We've lived together at altitude camps. I didn't even know that all this was going on, that she was appealing all these things um over the past like five months um 
until the actual band came out. And then uh, some of the girls told me about what was going on and what had been going on. Um, the Shelby that I know would never cheat, would never do something like this. Uh, and I know not everyone out there knows Shelby like like a teammate would, like like a friend would. I certainly don't think that she would ever do something like this. Just knowing her, how she operates, when the Nike Dragonflies and Juice Box, or I guess they're called uh, Victory now, uh, that when those shoes came out, she refused to wear them because she wanted to know at the World Championship that if she meddled, that she did that and not the shoes. I, I don't think a person like that would uh, take a banned substance. And, and, and that's, that, that's how I feel about it. I was shocked. You know, it, it's a cloud that will hang over Shelby for the rest of her life. Uh, it'll hang over our team by association, hangs over me to some extent. Um, it's really, really sad. And I feel really, really badly for Shelby. I, I do believe what, what she has to say. I don't think she would ever do something like that. If more information comes out, then like, then, then I'll reform my analysis. But like, yeah, at this point, yes, it's highly unlikely that, that Nandrolone was ingested through a contaminated pork burrito, but I think it's even more unlikely that Shelby was cheating, knowing the person she is, that the entire team wouldn't know uh, if someone were cheating. Yeah, I, I just find it that you're arguing two really unlikely things and serving a ban because you think one is slightly more likely than the other. Like if one has the 0.001 chance of happening or being true and the other has a 0.002 chance of being true, do you pick the 0.002 and slap a ban on the person? I don't know. It's hard. Like, what do you choose in that situation? Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Uh, you know, I mean, just just the all you can do in this situation is like, yeah, I, I don't believe this person who I know really well cheated. And then if if it turned out that that person cheated, like not just not just Shelby, just like, I mean, you have no other options except to be like, oh wow, okay, like I was wrong and I was deceived by it, you know. But like, yeah, I don't know. If you don't have I mean, I understand that, especially as a teammate. Like, if you don't have faith in, in, in your team for doing stuff the right way, I mean, I don't know. You wouldn't want to be associated with them. You, you wouldn't you wouldn't train under it. So it's it's a, yeah, it's a difficult, difficult situation. Um, I mean, honestly, just everyone involved in these, like, in the, the doping stuff. Um, I almost said scandal, but it doesn't even feel right to say scandal. <laughs> it's just every, everyone involved in these situations. Like, it's just, it's just awful. I mean, you know, Shakari is the only one who, has been like, yeah, like I, I did that. Um, like I did the thing that my suspension is warranting. Well, I mean, Brianna McNeil is, but like a little different situation. That, that was, yeah, it's a different situation, but, um, and he, and then, you know, maybe Shakari's gets the, gets the THC ban, like completely out of the sport or, or wherever it's going. But yeah, it's just, um, it's awful. I mean, it's not what you want to be talking about three weeks out from the Olympics. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's kind of the bottom line. Yeah, this... A little bit of a downer of an episode, but but we had to talk about it. I mean, I just, I don't know. A little bit of a downer. Yeah, I mean, it is a downer. It's it's an unfortunate aspect of the sport, and it's unfortunate that it'll hang over the Olympics, too. I mean, that'll be a talking point during the Olympics, who's there and who's not there. Um, yeah. Which which is unfortunate, because there's so many great athletes out there that I that I do think do it the right, the right way, and those athletes should be you know, in the spotlight. Yeah, it, it's, yeah, it's a shit situation. Well, 
Yeah. How, how, how do we transition there? Maybe, maybe we just cut the episode. We've been going, we've been going a while. <laughs> no, no, yeah, we're, we're done. We're, we're, we're wrapping it up. I got nothing else to say. Um, but I'm excited for you, you know, and, and I'm excited for no matter how limited the capacity will be in Tokyo, you'll be there and there'll be medals in the stadium to be given to the top three participants in the 10 and the five, uh, among others. So, I mean, it's still going to be something special. And, uh, yeah, we're thinking about doing a, another race flashback next week. Um, I'm hopefully going to nail down one, a couple of these interviews that have been floating around, uh, trying, trying to get that finalized as well. So be looking, be on the lookout for that content. We're thinking maybe Olympics themed. If anyone has any, we've gotten a lot of suggestions in general, but if anyone's got any Olympic final type races, uh, historic, you know, just that, that appeal to them that you would want like a detailed breakdown on, uh, potentially more historical than like, oh, like 2016, uh, Rio, 5K, 10K. But yeah, just give us a shout. Uh, you guys know where to find us at this point, online or uh, on Instagram. And yeah, we'll, we'll definitely be, be back with you guys next week on the Half Step Pod. So thank you all for listening. Sorry, this is a little bit of a downer an episode, but uh, we're going we're gonna to stay positive moving forward. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sounds good. Thank you guys for listening. Hope, uh, hope we didn't bore you or make you too sad. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll talk to you guys next week. Yeah. It needs to be talked about. Yeah. You know, it can't not be. All right. Peace. Yeah. See you guys.